0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wavelength, the IUVA podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for you. The first reason why it's special is that today's episode is sponsored. This episode is brought to you by Light Sources Incorporated, your global UVC lighting solutions partner. We will have more on Light Sources Incorporated later in the show. The other reason why this episode is special is that two members of the IUVA Young Professionals Committee will be taking over hosting duties today. Molly McManus and Sir Keith Tanneru sat down with Professor Ashok gill from UC Berkeley to talk about his work on UV water disinfection and sanitation in low-income settings. The conversation went so well that we decided to split it into two parts. I hope you enjoy the first part of Professor Ashok gill here on Wavelength.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Molly McManus, and I am a project manager at Acquisense Technologies. And my name is Saket Taniru, Sales Manager for Southeast Asia at Acquisense Technologies. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Ashok Gadgil, Faculty Senior Scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory and Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at UC Berkeley. Dr. Gagiel's expertise spans water treatment to energy efficiency in buildings. He's received numerous accolades and has been featured in several films. However, perhaps the work he is best known for is his technical, economic, and policy research on implementing water and sanitation solutions in developing countries. For example, UV Waterworks, a technology to inexpensively disinfect drinking water with UV light. We sat down with Dr. Gargill to learn more about the inspiration for his work and the design process behind ensuring that technologies have greatest positive impact. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I was hoping we could start with kind of a an overview of UV Waterworks. That's one of your claims to fame, um, but... I was hoping we could start there. Sure.
2: Uh, I think it helps to uh, see how bad the situation was when I began to work on UV Waterworks. Uh, that was back in 1994. Uh, the 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 health impacts of dirty drinking water, of, of pathogens in drinking water, usually fecal pathogens in drinking water. Uh, for most of the, the poorest population in the world, were truly horrific. Most of the lives lost from diarrhea disease uh, were of children below age five, And that still is the case, but the the number of lives lost was 4 million at that time. Now the number has come down a lot with the Millennium Development Goals and the push from all governments because of initially Millennium Development Goals and then the Sustainable Development Goals to push for at least minor improvements in water supply. Uh, the, The prior level of water supply quality was just what we would call in the first world raw water. That was it. Okay. And most of that raw water was contaminated with fecal matter because there is there still is inadequate sanitation access Absolutely. and inadequate sanitation treatment. Uh, lots of people hundreds of millions of people still have access only to pit toilets and open defecation, which causes fecal pathogens to be either washed into surface waters or it contaminates groundwater because the pits are not lined. Of course. And aquifers are shallow. Yeah. And and then once the top aquifer is... Is contaminated. Often you have these pathogens showing up in well water as well, because well water ultimately is simply top aquifer, slowly moving water into the open well. Oh, okay. So the toll was horrific, and I was at that time studying physics uh, at Longest Berkeley National Lab doing research, uh, and a horrific epidemic of cholera broke out in India uh, called the Bengal cholera, named so because that was the first time when the pathogen was identified. It had a small mutation, but the mutation was such that the standard cholera vaccine did not offer any protection. That's terrifying. Yeah. So now you had the situation back to the time before we had vaccines, effectively, because you had a pathogen when there's no protection. It is just like, imagine where we were last year. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. This is far, far more contagious, deadly. And tens of thousands of people were dying in India every month in the summer of 93 uh, and I was just getting upset, uh, thinking this is so stupid, why can't, why can't we do something about it? How, how can people just die? Oh, for It's lack so unnecessary. Sense. It's, it's an absolute fundamental necessity. Yeah. In 2010, the United Nations General Assembly Declared passed a resolution saying that safe drinking water is a fundamental human right. Great. That that took some time uh, compared to the the Bengal cholera epidemic, and but I think more and more world is recognized that safe drinking water is essential to life. You can't mess with something like that. is is really fundamental. Uh, so that's so, the origin uh, of
1: the UV uh, model box. Sorry, I just want, uh, I didn't want to cut you off, but um, mm-hmm. I, I was just wondering uh, you know, this was when you were talking about Bengal cholera and you were here in Berkeley, you were doing your physics research. What made you basically catch that eye? What made you go, you know, I need to solve a problem with this or how can I help? <laughs> basically, from what I understand, physics and water. Has a little bit of a distance between them.
2: Um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, <laughs> physics, uh, like it or not, makes you uh, a little bit knowledgeable about a lot of things. Yes, I've been told and, that uh, by my teachers. <laughs> <about>. And <laughs> as people say, half knowledge is dangerous, but sometimes it is damn useful. <laughs> <laughs> So (laughs) I was doing research at that time on uh, pollutant transport, uh, airborne pollutant transport in indoor spaces. I was doing research on, on radon that enters into buildings from interstitial soil gas that is pulled up in the building and trying to understand how to stop it. And water was indeed far away. But, but what it does is it gives you confidence that if, as Feynman, Richard Feynman used to say, if one idiot could invent it, other idiots can surely learn it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so never be afraid of learning. <laughs>
1: Such a practical piece of information. That's great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, Uh, I I basically looked at why people cannot boil their water and discovered that while boiling is commonly practiced by us all when we go camping, for example, boiling 10 liters per day of drinking water per person would use three times more fuel than that person uses for boiling or cooking their food and for wow. the rural for the so you could do all of this stuff with just basically back up the envelope calculation saying how long does it take to hold to raise water from room temperature to uh, 100 degrees celsius or boiling point and hold it there just for one minute that's all you really need and how much fuel does it take and it takes enormous amounts of fuel uh, compared to the amount of fuel that is used for cooking. And people who are at the bottom of the economic pyramid are already running short of fuel even for cooking. They they are running from pillar to post to go out to to pick up fallen wood and twigs to cook their food. And they are the ones who are dying, they and their children. So it it seemed like a, a a horrible humanitarian crisis when I also read that it takes two years for a new vaccine to be developed and mass manufactured to be inoculated to provide protection. So for two years, everybody was basically a sitting duck, OK? And the cholera spread from Bengal, of course, to to Bangladesh. From there, it spread to Thailand. and and tens of thousands of people per month die during the time of monsoons. Uh, When roads are washed away, when chlorine cannot be supplied by government because the roads are washed away, even to the small towns which do chlorinate their water, But, but hundreds of millions of people, are you kidding, they don't chlorinate their water. They just drink water as is, as found. Uh, so it was amazing for me to discover and calculate that with UVC light, it is so focused on the sweet spot of peak of absorption of the DNA that you need extremely small amount of energy of UVC light to damage very seriously the DNA of anything, including waterborne pathogens. And we know as society how to make vast amounts of UVC light with very little energy because we invented and mass manufactured tube lights from the time of the Second World War. So all you need is use the same technology as a tube light remove the inside phosphor. Instead of glass tubing, use quartz tubing so the UVC will come out. Right. But it's a low-pressure mercury through which electrical discharge causes 254-nanometer radiation, vast amounts. My god. So it was so <laughs> bloody easy. <laughs> I mean, Dr.
1: Arshad, you <laughs> say it's easy. It took me about one or two months to just learn that simple concept. <laughs>
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Light Sources Incorporated, your global UVC lighting solutions partner. With over 38 years of lamp manufacturing experience, Light Sources is a key partner and supplier of germicidal UVC lamps to hundreds of OEMs globally. Whether your application is water, air, or surface disinfection focused, Light Sources Incorporated has the expertise to help make your design become a reality. To learn more about what light sources can do for your business, check out www.light sources.com.
2: But it, I, I felt really, really upset that yeah. I was walking around with these numbers in my back pocket, when 10,000 people a month were dying from cholera without, without, for which there was no vaccine, without a vaccine to protect them.
0: So is it, it's
2: a really upsetting wow. feeling to have something that feels like a solution in your back pocket, the knowledge in your head that you owe, uh, owe in some ways to get it out, right? So I dropped lots of stuff. All of this work was done in evenings and weekends. That was not my day job. Uh, And then I started looking at how much it cost. It cost five US cents, including all costs, just UV alone, to disinfect one ton of water. Jeez. (laughs) And and that's the cost of the depreciated ballast of the tube light. And the depreciated physical tube light, and the cost of electricity, mm-hmm. and that's wow. all. I did. Okay, so it's like what? I, in your you
1: know, time, what was the uh, standard UV system that used to cost? You know, people could have easily bought them and put them in Bengal. I'm or no, no, no. See, I think
2: I looked into why it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Why? Why? Why are people doing this? If the if the yeah. chlorine is not there and you don't need a supply chain of a truck, all you need is wires to right. send you electricity. Right. Yeah. Or a PV panel. Now, in those days, PV panels were more expensive. Now they are so inexpensive. My God, PV electricity is now cheaper than electricity exactly. from coal. For new new coal fired power plants right. that cost more now than than um, utility-scale solar photovoltaic. So what's the problem, right? So all you have to do is ask people and we have phones, it's easy, pick up the phone and call up people. (laughs) Why doesn't it work? And the reason it doesn't work is that every single UV disinfector until that time had the UV well all their sources were low pressure mercury, okay? None of them had UVC to uh, LEDs. That was right. way far way yeah. ahead. It was still in the dream of solid state physicists to build those UVC. It was not, not there. We didn't even have a blue colored uh, LEDs, maybe at that time. Right. My gosh, yes. I can't
1: even remember a time when that that didn't exist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know. But when I was a kid, the only amazing thing was a red LED. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So (laughs) the reason it didn't work is because every single time anybody built a UV disinfector, they had to protect the, they did the most efficient design, which is immerse the lamp in water. Uh, yeah. in an axial in annular flow around a lamp like a good chemical right. engineer would do so you have concentric cylinders in a core you have the lamp in the right. annular space you have the water and the water flows along the long axis of the cylinder right mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's a good design yeah. but inevitably uh because mm-hmm. of temperature difference you get the wa- the lamp is warm The water has dissolved ions, calcium and magnesium ions. Uh And they have inverse solubility. The hotter it gets, the less soluble it becomes. So they begin to deposit microscopically on the glass wall of the lens, And then algae begins to find home there. Algae is biofilms and algae begins to find home there. Uh, So they
1: were really biofilm reactors rather than UV systems,
2: (laughs) (laughs) to put it it quickly. Yeah, the lamp sleeve fouls up. Wow. Uh, And that was a problem also with uh, attempts to clean up municipal tertiary treatment, right? With your municipal sewage treatment, your primary, secondary, the tertiary is to kill the pathogens. Yes, and when tried, people tried to immerse banks of uh, tube lights, UV lights, uh, yeah. in the water, it would foul very rapidly. But those papers came out much later. When I was doing this, none of these papers had been published. But I just talked to the people in the field, and my decision was to de- make a device which couldn't foul, which would have no moving parts. Right. and which would have 300% overdose of UV, because UV is one of those few things in life where the overdose doesn't cause toxicity, but still <laughs> it kills.
1: That's our motto, basically. <laughs>
2: right?
1: This is coming from it's a salesperson. It's
2: pretty amazing. and And I went into extreme detail because being at a big national lab, you can tap into worse experts on practically every field. Yeah. So I went into the details to find out what if there are other large molecules contaminating the water, which will get photo dissociated by the UV and then cause toxicity. Maybe the large molecule is non-toxic, your photo dissociation, it breaks apart because right. UV is a powerful photon, right? right? It breaks the molecule apart and now this, one of these pieces is going to be toxic to the humans downstream Mm -hmm. when initially the big molecule was not toxic. So I even looked into that and people had done that research and demonstrated that in natural waters with natural organic molecular contaminants, UVC does have some photodissociation of molecules, photodestruction and dissociation of molecules, but there is no toxicity. So, Would win. <laughs> my God, I know, couldn't believe yeah. <laughs> what I could do. So I I basically wanted to share that idea with anybody and everybody who will listen to me. <laughs> and while there are people who are willing to listen, that's not the same as going to scale. Right. Uh, so my former thesis advisor actually Uh, funded funded setting up a conference and pulled some strings to set up a conference in in Washington DC called Stop Cholera, Uh, primarily focused on UV disinfection of drinking water. I gave talks at every single conference where I would give a talk saying, how could you let this go on? We got to stop this. And, People who came to the Stock Cholera Conference were from USAID, US EPA, and and, and other agencies. um, But it takes time to actually develop something, build something, test something. And there was uh, an engineer in USAID who decided to fund this research through USAID money coming to Lawrence Berkeley National Lab for. Of some of $50,000 per year. That was a godsend. Without that, nothing could have happened. Right. You can't, I mean, I can, people would donate to me equipment, but you still need some little amount of money to buy some essential stuff to do research. Gee,
0: yeah. <laughs> Talk, is, do cheap. Talk is cheap. Talk is
2: cheap. No, no. This guy is, is pretty amazing that it actually happened that way. And even though his superiors were putting pressure on this engineer to not uh, fund me for fifty thousand, it was so small that he could he could get away with it, pushing back. And I'm very grateful that this really happened. Um, and then another good stroke of good luck is that. Uh, There was a pastor who had returned, American pastor who had returned from abroad uh, after finishing his duty, and he was trying to see what he should do next. His name is Elvin Ewald. He said, I want to actually found a company which will make the world a better place, but I don't know what to invest my money in. Right. And he found news <laughs> about this only because I was talking, talking, talking to anybody who will listen.
1: Right. It's a good friend to find.
2: <laughs> My, My God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so you could call it literally God sent in some ways, right? Right. So, so uh, Water Health was founded. Originally, it was called Elvin Ewald Group. Then they named themselves Water Health. Uh, they hired an industrial design company so that they could make this open trough design. The design is open channel, and the lamp is suspended in air so that it cannot touch water, so nothing can foul. Right. And and it's all gravity feed, so you don't need a pump. So long as you have enough pressure, couple of inches of water pressure, you will get your throughput. Uh, it will disinfect 15 liters a minute. Uh, and I I tuned it to be slightly larger than the maximum flow you'll get out of a Mark II hand pump. A Mark II hand pump is an enormous, rugged device invented and perfected by, uh, I think, uh, UN. I don't know which branch of UN did it, maybe UNICEF did it. Uh, uh, with a six foot long handle and they're all <laughs> over the world. And if you take this six foot handle and swing it as fast as you could, you get 12 liters a minute. So I said, I want to have a margin of safety and disinfect yes. this and make it work with a Mark II hand pump. It was right. originally called India Mark II because India is where they perfected it. But now it is just called Mark II and it's like, it's an amazing, iconic design of robust, rugged hand pumps. And 15 liters is, is excellent. It's way, way more flow than what comes out of a North American bathtub if you turn the flow on. Right. And most of the pushback I got from everywhere I went by all the villagers, is "He never ever seen drinking water flow at that rate. You've got to be kidding. Huh. (laughs) Because I was upset, Molly. I was upset because in the U.S., everybody waters their lawn with drinking water. Yeah. Everybody in the U.S. and Canada, we wash our cars with drinking water. We flush our toilets with drinking water. Jesus, and people are dying for lack of drinking water. What is wrong?
0: Yeah. Such an,
1: I, I mean there's certain you know you would expect some pushback anytime you do something new you would expect some sort of pushback but I would not expect one of the challenges to be I've never seen water move that fast that
2: wow this is, uh, this is way too much yeah
0: All right, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the first part of our conversation with Professor Gerdgiel. Part two of this episode will be up next week. You can find Wavelength, as always, on the IUVA website or by searching IUVAYP on Spotify or social media. Thanks again to Light Sources Incorporated for sponsoring today's episode. Talk to you next week.